This is the Westbrook Community Church Sermon Series. Sunday, November 5, 2023. Our partners, International Justice Mission. Kevin welcomes Susan from IJM as they discuss justice for the poor. Focusing on the International Justice Mission. And Susan is here. And she's a, a good friend of mine. Susan, come on up, and uh, and we can uh, talk to you about uh, IJM a little bit. And, and Susan is a, a good friend. We worked together at another church that I was at, and I just have really enjoyed her uh, always. And we really had a great time working together. And, and I got one story about Susan. <laughs> That has nothing to do with IJM, okay? But what happened was, one time, I, I came into the reception area of the church I was in, and, and do you remember those little pink slips you got when somebody called you? Remember those? If you don't remember them, you, you're too young. But we used to have these pink slips, okay, that would say, who called? And, and I got one of those, and it looked like the name was Abe Froman. And I go, oh, man. The sausage king of Chicago just called me. And, uh, and the receptionist was there and she goes, what are you talking about? And I said, oh, Abe Froman, he's the sausage king of Chicago. And I had to explain my joke because that was a reference to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And, and he pretended to be Abe Froman. And, and, uh, and it loses something when you got to explain your jokes, right? And, and I find myself doing that more and more often, which is not a good thing. So I'm explaining this to the receptionist who have never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And Susan walks in. And I say, Susan, who's Abe Froman? And she goes, he's the sausage king of Chicago. <laughs> I thought, that's why I like her. And... Uh, she also introduced me to Napoleon Dynamite, too, as well. And, and uh, so, Susan, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Uh, and you do more important work than just watch old comedies. So, but those right? are helpful. I mean, it's good to have funny reference points. And, it is. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, tell us uh, just about IJM. Now, you've been working with IJM for eight years. Yep. And... Uh, Maybe tell a little bit about your capacity and tell us just about how IJM got started and, uh, and, and its work. Yeah. So I've been with IJM for eight years. I'm based here in the Twin Cities, and I get to work with individuals all across the, uh, the Midwest um, to help them kind of connect with IJM in ways that are meaningful for them. So it's my actual dream job. It sounds kind of funny, uh, but it's very true. I wanted this job for a long time, and I would never thought it would come to be, and it came to be, and I love it. So, right. um, But yeah, IJM has a unique origin story. Um, our founder and CEO, his name is Gary Haugen. Um, he's a lawyer by practice and by background, um, but before he became a lawyer in college, he had the opportunity to spend some time uh, in South Africa in the midst of um, apartheid, and he was able to learn from leaders like Desmond Tutu and others about how you as a Christian lead in really conflicted and divisive spaces. Um, and he had some other opportunities to um, travel abroad, and in those, in those travels, he witnessed a bit of what people living in poverty experience in terms of just everyday violence around the world. 
Um, so those were some of his kind of formative experiences. And then uh, after college, he went to law school. Then he became a lawyer. And ultimately, he ended up working uh, for the U.S. Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., on uh, police abuse of power cases here in the United States. So he did that for a couple years. And then in 1994, the Rwandan genocide happened. And Gary was essentially given on loan to the United Nations uh, to lead the, the genocide investigation. So he uh, flew to Rwanda and led a team. Uh, and he and his team essentially had to sift through uh, these all the mass grave sites in Rwanda and document each death to confirm that it was indeed um, a genocide. So you can imagine the horrors of what he experienced and saw in the, the aftermath of that. And so when he came back from Rwanda, uh, there was two kind of main questions that were rolling around in his mind after that experience. And the first was, how did this possibly happen? How did the, the government, who is tasked with um, owning and implementing laws to protect their citizens from violence, how did that government just fail its citizens so utterly that a million people uh, were killed in that one-month time frame? Uh, and secondarily, and arguably more importantly, Gary, as a Christian, just was asking the question of, where were the people of God? Where were the people who were supposed to be holding back the hand of the oppressor? Uh, when in reality, a lot of those mass grave sites in uh, the genocide are inside churches, as you can see on the slide here. Uh, so those were the questions that Gary was kind of wrestling with when he came back in 1994. And um, so as a, as a lawyer and as a, a Christian inspired by God's call of justice all throughout the Bible for not just Gary, but for, for everyone who follows Jesus, that call of justice, he was inspired to start IJM. So in 1997, he started IJM basically from his townhouse outside Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really focused on on uh, on God's justice, and, and I know that uh, I grew up, I grew up more in my Christian faith in a tradition that didn't focus on the poor much, focused more on uh, reaching out and sharing the good news of Christ. But I, I was amazed later on in my walk with Christ is how much in the Bible is talks about God's heart for the poor, yeah, and, and God's heart for uh, justice for the poor. And, uh, and how they're oppressed so much. And, and it's just amazing how much is in there that, that that's really uh, God's heart. Mm-hmm. And, and I heard an analogy just uh, uh, a couple of years ago that, that really helped me focus on the difference between justice and mercy. Because yeah. God calls us to be merciful and, and to be just. And it was from a guy that had visited Niagara Falls. <laughs> and... Uh, and he'd visit there in the summer, and then in the fall, he'd heard that somebody on in, on the news. He heard somebody had fallen in uh, the Niagara River and was headed toward the falls. And they did this dramatic rescue of this person before he went over the falls. And uh, and, and this person uh, just developed this analogy from that story. And he said, God's mercy would be if a lot of people were falling in the river. And, uh, and you would be merciful to help them out of the river. So God calls us to help people out of the river and rescue them and, and show mercy to them. But he said justice, God's justice is a little different. 
God's justice isn't about pulling people out of the river, but it's going back up the river to see who's pushing people in and tell them to stop. That's God's justice. And what I like about your organization is that's what you guys focus on. Yeah. Who's pushing people in? Yeah. <laughs> and so tell us more about, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, Gary's uh, Christian commitment. Tell us uh, how IJM just continues to keep their faith in Christ front and center in their work. Yeah. So there's 1,400 staff around the world, uh, and about 92% of us are nationals to the country we work in. So Guatemalans doing the work in Guatemala, and Ugandans doing the work in Uganda. And why um, is that important? That's yeah, a good point. That's critical because the when you're a national to the country you're working in, you know the culture and the language and the custom and the law. Um, and that's really important because you need to be trusted by the community that you're already in. So they know, you know, you... In Uganda, lawyers and investigators and social workers from Uganda are going to be dramatically more effective than sending a bunch of Americans over there to, to try and work. So, yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's pretty critical. critical. Yeah, yeah. So our our fourteen hundred staff around the world, first and foremost, consider ourselves a community of spiritual formation. So there's four disciplines, spiritual disciplines that all fourteen hundred of us in every office around the world practice together. Day in, day out, and year in, year out. Um, so every quarter, we come together for staff prayer retreats. Uh, every year, uh, each staff member gets one day uh, a year that's kind of a self-directed spiritual retreat. And then every single day, every single IJM staff member around the world spends the first half hour of their day in stillness. And so that's whatever it is for you. It might be listening to worship music. It might be praying. It might be just listening. It might be reading your Bible. But it's 30 minutes where you are just um, in God's presence to just be you know, res- restored and renewed for the day. And then after that half hour, we work for a couple hours, and then we stop again, and we come together corporately. Uh, and in the United States, we do that at 10 a.m. Uh, Central Time, and we come together by Zoom, and we pray together for the work of IJM all over the world. Uh, and for personal requests as well. And those are really critical practices because the the work is heavy and it's hard, especially for our field staff that are witnessing um, these really hard stories all the time. And so Gary, our founder, is fond of saying that this is our work, but it's God's weight done Jesus' way. And Jesus' way is drawing close to the Father. And so mm-hmm. that's what we do. We, multiple times a day and a year, draw close to God um, to bring the really hard things to him, to thank him and praise him for all the miracles and breakthrough we've seen, uh, and ultimately to just be restored and refreshed so that we can get up and do this work every day and not carry the burden of it. Because really the the heaviness of that work is much more rightly placed on God's shoulders yeah. so that we can be the ones who show up with diligence and excellence to do the work, um, but we can be sustained in it by staying close to God. Yeah, that's really good. And, and I... I l- you know, and, and the reality is you're confronting some bad people. And mm-hmm. and there's a sense of, of evil not only in those people, but I think behind those people there's mm-hmm. a, a real power of evil that that uh, we need God's power to come against. Yeah, And uh, I think you're seeing that. So good. Well, tell us about kind of the model that you guys use to, to bring justice to different parts of the world. Yeah, so... Uh, IJM exists to protect people living in poverty from violence, um, the kind of everyday violence that um, oftentimes plagues people who are living in poverty. 
Um, so things like slavery, uh, violence against women and children, domestic violence, um, uh, crimes like that that, um, that just happen very, very regularly. And um, so our model is, again, fully inspired by God's heart for justice. But what we do is, um, in every part of what we do, we come alongside the public justice system. Because uh, ultimately, they're the ones in every country around the world that ultimately have the responsibility to enforce law and protect their people. And so our staff come alongside the justice system uh, to do four things that you see up here. Rescue and restore victims, bring criminals to justice, uh, strengthen justice systems, and then scale demand for justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting when I first heard that is uh, the person commented that... Uh, you're not writing new laws for these countries. Mm-hmm. The laws are there. Tell us about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, uh, that's a critical thing to note, that it's not, you know, in every country around the world, these, um, these things are already illegal. So uh, assaulting a child or sex trafficking or slavery, it's, uh, those laws are on the books in every country around the world. Uh, but in many countries, it's that there isn't effective law enforcement. And mm-hmm. so uh, people who don't have money and power are incredibly susceptible to experiencing these forms of violence. And not getting any justice. Correct. Yeah. 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 Good. So, so tell us how – so you come in and obviously uh, how, how do you come alongside a justice system yeah. in a country? Um, yeah, let me walk through a few of these things so it okay. makes a little more sense. So um, so rescue and restoration, our teams on the ground, we have investigators and lawyers and social workers, psychologists, HR, finance, all those great things. Um, but for rescue and restoration, what that looks like is our staff work with the police to help identify people who are victims of violence, and then we come alongside the police to help relieve them from the situation of violence that they find themselves in. And then our social workers um, walk alongside those survivors, providing some of that really important trauma-focused therapy and care, the the psychosocial support, and then um, walk with those survivors until they're restored so that they can reintegrate back into society in a way where they will be safe uh, and where they won't be um, vulnerable to re-victimization. That's a pretty key piece of rescue is really important. But there's all these other needs that survivors have. Uh, it could be you know, a, a housing need or um, econ- they might need economic support, um, vocational training, education. So iJAM comes alongside them and helps kind of network that survivor to all the other um, aftercare that they may need to become restored and heal and then like I said be able to reintegrate back into society in a way uh, where they'll be safe and not vulnerable to re-victimization because that's a pretty key piece. Rescue is really important um, but but they really need to have their holistic needs addressed so that they're not vulnerable to um, experiencing violence again. Again, yeah, yeah. Well good, well give us some examples of, of how this has worked. Yeah. Around the world. Yeah. So um, I, I have a story I can share in a minute. But um, so one, one other kind of critical piece of this model is bringing criminals to justice. So mm-hmm. what does that actually look like? So our teams um, of lawyers and investigators uh, on the ground actually partner with the public justice system, the public prosecutor, to take these cases up against the perpetrator, walk them through the justice system, and then ideally get that perpetrator 
or that criminal um, held accountable for their crime uh, and sentenced. Because what we find is that um, when laws aren't enforced, criminals operate with just complete impunity. Um, they can do whatever they want because they see, even if there is a law on the books like we've talked about, if it's not enforced, um, there isn't actually a, a cost to them uh, perpetrating this crime because they'll, they know they can get away with it. Uh, but what we found is when those laws are enforced and when um, criminals are held accountable, it sends a very strong message of deterrence to other would-be criminals uh, that you, you can't get away with this, and that helps contribute to a significant decrease in the prevalence rate of that crime. So that's pretty critical. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other piece I'll talk a little bit about is just the overall strengthening the justice system. So that's that is really the critical part of Ajam's model is our staff, um, as we take those cases through the justice system, as we walk with survivors through their restoration journeys, uh, we can kind of diagnose the system and figure out where some of those weak points are. And then our local staff come alongside the justice system and provide training and capacity building and resource uh, to help really strengthen the justice system where it's weak so that they can effectively enforce their own laws, and protect their own citizens without IJAM's ongoing intervention. Uh, So we can kind of stair-step back, and then that system will run really effectively um, into the future, which is really critical. We are, our work is all aimed around creating that sustainable long-term change that protects people from violence. And and that probably takes some time. There's... Yes. uh, (laughs) Does not happen overnight. Yeah. And the just systems need Mm -hmm. to... Uh, there's probably some starts and stops there, I'm sure. Somebody asked that uh, after the first service. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there really are. Yeah, so examples. Give us yeah. some examples. Uh, so um, one example is in Cambodia. So we implemented this four-part model in Cambodia between the years of 2004 and 2014, to your point. It was about mm-hmm. 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we implemented that four-part model, partnered with the justice system, and we, uh, I'd like to say we're data nerds. We measure everything because we really want to make sure that we can prove the effectiveness of the work because otherwise you don't really know what, what impact you're having or what change you're making. So at the end of those 10 years, outside evaluators determined um, after studying the work that because of minors being exploited in the sex industry in Cambodia decreased by 73% in the community that we were working which was really, really um, profound. We were aiming for a significant decrease, but no one expected it to be 73%. That was really, really encouraging. Um, And even uh, further encouraging from that is in eight other communities that IJM works around the world, we have implemented that model and also seen really significant success rates like that. Um, between 50 and 86% decreases in the crime that we are combating in those communities. Um, So in the nine places where IJM has implemented this model, nine times we have had successful programs that dramatically decrease the prevalence rate of the crime, and then uh, because of that are protecting people uh, from ever experiencing that violence in the first place, which is is a, a critical piece of what we're doing. Because if you were to ask... Uh, a survivor of violence, I'm confident they would say, I'm so grateful for my rescue, uh, that I was rescued. I'm so grateful for the care I've received. But I am also quite confident they would say they wished they would have never had to experience that violence or that abuse in the first place. 
And so that's what we are seeking. Yeah, that's cool. And, and I've uh, read a couple of Gary Haugen's books that, that are really good and, uh, and really give us a, an idea and a, a thought process. The first one that he wrote a long time ago probably yeah. uh, is Good News About Injustice. And uh, it really gives the biblical foundation for for this work, and, and it's really good. So tell us, so if, if you want a place to start, that would be a, a great place to start. But tell us about uh, his other books. That yeah, he's definitely. So The Good News About Injustice is just uh, a really powerful book um, and explores some of the, the heart behind what we're doing at IJM and the reason um, that we that I, that Gary started this work. And then there's a book called Just Courage uh, that Gary wrote as well that's really kind of the heartbeat of what we're doing and why we do it. Uh, and then there's another book called Just, uh, uh, sorry, uh, The Locust Effect, which is um, more the, it's like the brain of what we're doing. Um, that one, I always warn people, it's a hard read, emotionally for the first half, uh, and then the last half is much more um, intellectual. Uh, but it's really a, a powerful book. Uh, the first half, basically each chapter walks through um, one story of um, violence that someone experienced uh, around the world. And basically like how, how the, the system kind of failed them and to, failed to protect them. Um, and then the second half of the book really walks through... Um, kind of history and political science reasons of like why those systems have um, kind of grown to the way that they are and where some of those breakdowns have occurred. Mm -hmm. But it also addresses all the hope in what is possible and how systems have changed in different countries and what that looks like and what the hope is for um, every community that is currently experiencing violence to be able to... um, grow and strengthen and change so that people are protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got copies out um, if you want to look at those and scan through them and see, but of course they're just available on Amazon. But if you want to yes. check those out, um, they're pretty wonderful books. So. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not into reading, okay? Some of us aren't into reading. And, uh, so, But there is, he did a TED Talk. Gary Haugen did a TED Talk about this that is just really powerful. And his premise in that was that that people are kept in poverty mainly because of the violence they experience, right? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, if you want the 18-minute version of The Locust Effect, go Google Gary Hogan TED Talk. Uh, but it is, it is, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful 18 minutes, but that is exactly the premise. It's um, that, that in order to actually address um, poverty around the globe, you definitely need to... Uh, help with clean water and with uh, health and hygiene and education and uh, all those other important interventions. But if you don't also address the reality of violence against those living in poverty, all those good things can still be withheld from people living in poverty by those who have power and money and uh, kind of want to keep those things for themselves. So it's, yeah. it's a good listen. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's really good. Well, well, yeah. So give us some examples, uh, more examples. You talked about Cambodia, and uh, are there more examples that you can give us around around the work? Yeah. Well, do? I mean, like this slide you see up here. There's different in each of those communities. You know, we addressed um, typically the way our model works is we address one specific um, crime or casework type. 
and implement that full model. So um, in the Philippines, uh, that was actually the first place that we implemented this model, and we were um, seeking to protect uh, children, again, from being exploited in the sex trafficking industry, so to speak. And um, so in uh, 2006, the Gates Foundation gave us a grant to address that problem. Uh, and so we had, a, we had four years to implement that model. We measured everything at the beginning. And at the end, we had found um, a really significant decrease. Again, our goal um, in that project was to decrease the prevalence rate um, of children in the sex industry by 20%. But we act, what we actually found uh, was that one up there, that 79%. So that was quite mind-boggling at the time, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, because we are data nerds, we wanted to make sure, we were deeply encouraged by that, but really wanted to make sure um, that that really was because of IJAM's model of partnering with uh, the justice system. So we, we replicated that in Manila and in Pampanga, um, both also in the Philippines, and found really significant reduction rates there as well, 75% um, and 86%. So that was great confirmation that this model actually actually works, works to protect yeah. people. And, and so, were, yeah. oh, sorry. Go ahead. So uh, we do have a story of one person um, from the Philippines that we can show as well. It's a, yeah. a short video, but her name is Cassie. I've actually had the privilege of meeting Cassie. Oh, you did. She is indeed a real person. She is amazing, <laughs> and she is an incredible advocate now. She is many years um, down her journey of restoration, and now she, I've seen her speak at conferences of thousands of people rallying people to this fight of joining IJM um, in partnership to help protect people. So she's pretty inspiring, but we yeah. can watch Yeah, let's story. watch that video now. It's really hard. It's like, I, I was thinking, I want, to, I want to die, I want to die because of this pain, but I can't. When first time uh, Mary Cooter telling me that oh, Manila is very nice, he said, so I can wear a nice clothes, and then he taking care of me. He told me that he can help me to reach my, all my dreams. First time in Manila, it was very happy because there's a lot of building. You wear nice clothes, you have your own money, you can stay in a nice house. So Manila is very nice compared to my place. We are six victims inside of the house of my recruiter. My recruiter hurt me every day when I do something bad that he don't like because he want every day, he want I need to follow him, but if I don't follow him, um, he's going to hurt me, just punk me, slap me in the face in front of the people. I really want to kill him. I really want to die that time, but I can't. It's feel very lonely for me because I was very far from my family and I can't tell them what happened to me because I was very scared. Good as to make me heal all the pain. It is in my second home I realize everything 
that you don't need to lose hope. If I see or if I hear or there is a victim of human trafficking like us, I just want her to comfort her, help her to move forward and just fight for your rights. Because that's the start where, um, where I stand now. Well, that that's powerful, <laughs> and uh, and it's cool. And and uh, uh, one of the ways I want to ask you as we wrap this up is just how how people can get involved in IJM. But we, as a church, committed in our uh, for the future campaign that we were going to give ten percent of everything that came into to outreach we were doing as a church and outreach to other uh, mission partners that we have. And so one way you can you're already involved by your giving is that uh, our church is uh, giving regularly to IJM. But how are some other ways that uh, they can get involved? Yeah. Well, first, thank you for being involved uh, as a church. That is incredibly meaningful, and it's those partnerships that fuel everything that we do. Um, so please hear my thanks in that. Um, but yeah, the three main ways we have to get involved are to give and to pray and to advocate. Uh, right now, IJM is in this very exciting and kind of critical two years of seeking to expand this work so we can protect 500 million people from violence. So for us, that means opening new projects and starting new offices, and we need partners to help us do that. Um, So you can become a freedom partner. We would love for you to join us as a freedom partner. Our freedom partners are monthly donors that show up every month, month in, month out, with that faithful support that sends our field teams day in and day out to do all those things we talked about, to rescue and uh, help restore people, to bring accountability. Um, so being a freedom partner really makes this work possible. Um, so you can go to ajam.org to do that. You can chat with me. I've got information at the table uh, afterwards. Uh, second, you could be a prayer partner. As you heard in the beginning, that is absolutely foundational and critical to our work, and it's what makes it possible. So again, you can go to ijam.org. Um, you quick sign up with just name and email, and then once a week, you'll get an email with our most urgent prayer requests, and then we just ask that you pray for those throughout the week alongside us. Uh, and lastly, you, be, you can become an advocate or a volunteer. And our advocates are raising their voices with their senators and representatives, um, sometimes in person, sometimes by email uh, or note card, that um, they're lending their voice to policy that is uh, transforming the way that the U.S. government and others are showing up and providing um, critical policy changes that impact people experiencing violence and trafficking and slavery on a global scale. So it's really critical. Great. Well, thanks. Well, let's give Susan a hand. And uh, I just... I just want to take a moment and and pray for her and and pray for uh, the IJM ministry. Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, thank you for Susan. Thank you for her work and her ministry. And we just pray that you would continue to strengthen her and give her wisdom and direction as she uh, goes about doing what's on your heart, the the protection and the the uh, freedom for people uh, that are oppressed. 
So we just pray for her and we pray for IJM and we pray for uh, their big vision of uh, rescuing people who are in slavery in all kinds of various ways around the globe. And we just pray that, that your spirit would go before them, would lead them with wisdom and direction and, and that they could make, continue to make an impact uh, on freeing people and, and helping people understand uh, your great love for them. So, Lord, we pray your blessing on this ministry, and we pray that that we can be partners with them in doing your work around the world. And we pray this, and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Susan.